Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Thanks for listening to Activate, a podcast from Journey Church International. My name is Ryan Hold. I'm the Next Steps Pastor at JCI, and joining me today is our lead pastor, Pastor Christian Newsom. Uh, today we're going to continue a discussion from our current series, Family Strong, Fighting for Your Family. A lot of great feedback from this uh, series impacting a lot of families. And we had a listener uh, who sent in a question. We'd love to take those from you. So if you have any, uh, you can send a question to Pastor Christian at activate at takethejourney.cc. And the, the question we get uh, this week, Pastor Christian, it says, how was God able to forgive Job's children? This is from last week's message. How was God able to forgive Job's children from the sacrifices he made on their behalf when we don't see that his children asked for it? So that is a phenomenal question. Uh, I, I read that just a few minutes ago, uh, and I thought, man, that, that is a great question. That shows some sound theology um, when you talk about forgiveness. So I'll, I'll try to answer that question a couple ways. One, we don't know that God forgave Job's children. Uh, that was neither the the point of the text in Job 1, nor was it the point of the message that the children were actually forgiven. So the point of the message was focusing on the heart of a parent, right, worried about his kids being separated from God. Here's the unique thing about Job offering sacrifices at all. We said last week, the the, the historical setting of Job was before Abraham, which meant it was before Isaac and Jacob, which meant it was before the nation of Israel, which meant it was before Moses, which meant it was before the book of Leviticus in Numbers, which meant sacrifices meant nothing from a biblical standpoint back then. It's it's the it's the question of Cain and Abel when both Cain and Abel uh, outside the Garden of Eden were offering God sacrifices and God accepted Abel's, but he rejected Cain's. Someone who knows a little bit of the Bible and theology would say, why would God do that? One, there was no standard. Why was Abel's right and Cain's wrong? God had never told them what they were supposed to offer. Uh, did Cain not offer enough value? Did Abel offer more value? And and what scholars say is that you can tell the heart of the sacrifice by acceptance of the sacrifice, meaning God accepted Abel's sacrifice because there was something in his heart that was soft towards God, and he rejected Cain's sacrifice because there was something hard in his heart towards God. Remember when Saul was king and he broke God's law and he offered sacrifices instead of Samuel, who was the judge and the priest and Samuel came to him and Saul said, listen, I'm, I'm just doing what I thought was best. And Samuel said, you need to realize that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Like God desires your heart, not just your sacrifices. And I think when we look at Job, we don't know why Job was offering sacrifices we cannot know whether or not God forgave his children. But if we're saying God looks at the heart, and God told Samuel when he anointed David, don't look at his outward appearance because I don't judge like man judges. I look at the heart. We're looking at the heart of a father who said, I'm not going to let my kids get very far from God. I can't make them love God. But if it's up to me, boy, I'm going to ask God to forgive them. I'm going to ask God to love them. I'm going to ask God to protect them. I'm going to ask God to bless them. Did God ever forgive them? We don't know. Um, did the kids want forgiveness? We don't know. But we see the heart of a father, and that's what we were focused on, saying, I'm going to fight for my kids spiritually 
even when they sin. So am I going to ask God to forgive my kids when they sin? Yes. Will he because of that? I don't know. But it's my heart that he will somehow put things together in life so their heart will see God like my heart does. So I'll do that. But it's a it's a it's a matter of the heart, not really a matter of the law. But that is a great question. It is. And the point of this sermon series is to get us to fight for our family. And yes. If we see an example of someone fighting for their family, we should follow that example to to beg and plead for God to interact in their lives. Even if we follow it in faith, which means we're not even sure how this works. But boy, it inspires me to fight for my kids and their faith. Yes, absolutely. Moving on to some of the message content, and, and, and one of the great takeaways from last Sunday was the family strong moment, the real practical ideas on, on leading a strong family from morning mom, uh, moments and dinner uh, discussions, worry walks, bedtime blessings. And so so as a dad, which which of these do you find easiest to make happen and which do you find a struggle to make happen? So for our family in my life, the hardest ones are the dinner, dinner discussions, uh, uh, at least in quantity, because we don't eat dinner a whole lot together as a family. If we eat dinner three times a week together as a family, that's a great week. Which is a, pretty good for the average family. Yeah, with a daughter running one direction with piano and guitar and youth group and school choir and a son running the other direction in sports, we're not always together. So that's the one we do the least. If you say which which ones are the easiest, for me, it's all of them. I mean, they've become a part of our routine we get up together. Uh, for the most part, w- we all go to bed around the same time. Uh, and we're a family that tries to tune into each other emotionally, so we spend time together. You know, we, we often are in the car with the radio off and with the phones down so we can be having conversation. So the other three morning moments, bedtime blessings, worry walks, or, you know, what I would call maybe worry drives along the road, we're just massively intentional about those. There's very few days that go by that we don't have those. For us, it's the dinner discussions just because we don't eat dinner together a whole lot. And I think the reality is you've learned over the years in difficulty uh, of life that you have to fight for your family, which is evident. You've made those a part of what you do. I've tried to. Yes. And that's good. So this week in your message, The Unspoken, we looked at David, who was a real life historical figure who reigned as the king of Israel for 40 years. And and then we see in 2 Samuel 13, it wasn't exactly a flattering look at his life and his parenting. It was awful. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't great. Uh, the advice you give in your first point about spiritual confrontra- uh, confrontations, I, I've seen work in parenting situations. So the question is, what, what spiritual confrontations outside of a, a parent-child setting have you been part of or helped give advice on where you, you have seen things go from temporary hell to long-term healing? Well, I mean, just with my kids, one, you know, we've, we've had to discipline our kids. Like I'm sure you've had to do the same, um, whether it's taking their phones, whether it's grounding them from TV shows, whether it's saying no to an event that we had previously said yes to from school dances to hanging out with friends. Uh, and there, I mean, always, it seems like the first immediate reaction, you know, is, is temporary hell. But if we stick if we stick with it, um, with purpose, uh, we've seen healing, Ryan, we've seen, we've seen that on our staff. I mean, you say what, what situations outside family, there's been a lot of leadership situations in our church, uh, where, where we have to confront 
church leaders who we know have a desire to lean into Jesus, but their life is not doing that. We've had to pull them aside and say, listen, we, you know, we love you, but we really have to shepherd our church well. Um, and there's some things going on in your life that are going to have to change if you're going to keep leading. There are things going on in your life that are going to have to change if you're going to keep being a part of that group. I mean, we've we've had a lot of those gentle confrontations that rarely in the flesh, and I'm the same way, rarely do people respond well the first time, but there are a lot of people who come back on the back end and say thank you. Probably the most notable group for me, you know, after almost a decade in youth ministry are the kids who when they were 13 through 18 and I was I was leading them strongly having to go talk to their parents from time to time and they hated me in the moment and they quit coming to our youth group and they talked badly about us because we went and told their mom and dad, your kids are doing this or that are now coming back to me as young parents and saying, you know, thank you. If you wouldn't have told my parents, I might ended up at this school. I might ended up with this guy, with that girl. Uh, you know, I might ended up with this kind of substance abuse. Um, I was really mad then, but thank you for stepping in when I didn't have the guts to do it myself. Yeah, and these are the conversations that give you butterflies on the way to the meeting. Oh, You're man. sick to your stomach. If you not don't the night eat. before skip, the you meeting. Skip, you yes. skip lunch. Yes. But they always come out better. You leave that going, Lord, you intervene because you wanted me to be there. Spiritual confrontation done in love, which we'll talk about, I know, near, near the end of the podcast, uh, is always awful, but it's often healing. The second key point of your message was our kids will repeat in their lives what we don't repair in our own. And I can tell you that as a guy who had a pretty rough past, you know, I've wanted to make sure, one, I've repaired these things, but two, that my kids don't make the same mistakes. And it was true in King David's time. The question is, how have you seen that play out in our culture today? People, you know, their kids r repeating the same mistakes of their parents. Well, it's funny, you know, we, we talk about how each succeeding generation wants to have their own spirit and be their own person and do their own thing. But I mean, I've watched it long enough now to know up most to know that most little boys want to be like their dad and most little girls want to be like their mom. And, and I've seen that over and over that pe I've watched people begin to grow into that. You know, I can only really speak from my life and things that need to be repaired. So they're not repeated. Uh, you know, everyone has a different way you know, that they respond to things right. And in, in my moments of anger, I'm a thrower. You know, I grew up as a catcher and a quarterback. I like to throw things. And when I'm angry, um, my default is to, you know, throw pillows or whatever is in my hand that I'm holding. I'm just a thrower. It's the way I've reacted. And when my son was five or six, I started watching him playing video games, throwing the remote control, um, you know, throwing his teddy bear against stuff. And I'm looking at him thinking, oh, my gosh, that's me. Like my son is picking up the worst characteristics and qualities of me. You know, internally, I'm a worrier. I worry and second guess everything. I thought that was purely internal. But now I watch my daughter, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I'm watching her worry. I'm watching her doubt God. I'm I'm watching her second guess everything to the nth degree. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she has picked up the worst parts of me mentally. And I'm now that my kids are 15 and 13, realizing I have to repair some things in my past right now, like in the present, or my kids will repeat them in the future. Um, and things that I've never thought were a big deal in me, when I see them in my kids, it's like, yeah, that. 
I don't I don't want that to be me and I certainly don't want that to to be them. So in my kids, um, I see it a lot. And, and, you know, a lot of the great qualities of my mom and dad, I, fi- I find myself leaning into now that I'm almost 40. And it makes me it makes me great that I had parents uh, that did have some positive qualities, some things in their past that they repaired so that I wouldn't repeat them. You asked a question in your message, how do we repair our past so it's not our child's future? You just kind of touched on that. You gave some steps, and these steps will work for a parent or for any person who walks through the doors of JCI who is far from God. What will happen in a person's life if they will follow these five steps of repairing our past? In other words, what can their future and their life look like? Well, so we talk about those five steps being that you have to repent. Um you have to repent before God. You have to admit that what you did was wrong and, and you want to change. And then you've got to regret you've got to regret that. And here's what I mean by that, because we don't want to live in shame. We don't want to live in guilt. But I see a I see a lot of parents um, in my generation who who repent of something that happened in their past, but they don't regret it because it worked out okay. So they so they don't share with this with the spiritual weight that they should. Hey, I did this and God forgave me and I regret it. They kind of say, you know, I did this. God forgave me. It was no big deal. It kind of worked out. And that doesn't carry with it the spiritual weight that it should that really makes the sin as bad as it was and makes grace that much bigger. Um, You know, hey, when I was a kid, I did this uh, and it was wrong. And I asked God to forgive me. And the reality is the consequences of that should have destroyed me. But by the grace of God, they didn't. If I could go back, I would do it differently. And I never want you to do that because it was wrong. It's hard to look back on a blessed life and say that you regret it. But you should regret the sin and you should regret the heartache that you called people. And if you're now living a blessed life after a stupid past, you should be so grateful for the grace that's been given to you. So we talk about um, repenting. We talked about having regret. Then we talk about reflecting on those things with kids, but being willing to share your failure and walking with a limp. That that fifth step of walking with a limp, I think that's where you begin to see that someone is beginning to be healed spiritually. When they are willing to be authentic, when they're willing to be genuine, when they're willing to share their failures, when they think less of themselves but a lot of God, or they think lesser of themselves but more of God, um, that's just a powerful, powerful position to be in. And what you find is people heal internally when they're able to take those steps, and then their kids don't just see a repaired life, but they see a humbled life, um, and they they see a life that they really admire and want to be like they they see a life that has warned them to stay away from the sin that they committed while at the same time showing them a life that is forgiven of that sin if their kids get near so it's kind of the best world it's a it's a repaired life that shows them the grace they need in case it would be a repeated life and we've seen people walk in these doors and have their lives changed and now see them succeeding in ministry, helping other people, and continuing to see healing in their hearts. So they've gone through these steps, and I, I think the, the reality is the sky's the limit for their future and what they can do and what they can be for God. Not only that, it, the more deeply you are wounded, the more available you are in ministry. Right. I mean, the more the more deeply you have been wounded and healed, the deeper you can go into the spiritual operating room with someone else who's hurting. So God needs deeply flawed 
deeply wounded, deeply healed people to send back out onto the battlefield. Absolutely. Absolutely. As as we finish up in, in your family strong moment this week, you spend some time talking about leading through conflict and you give practical ideas on how to do that. So the question is, what advice would you give uh, the parent or the person who is hesitating to do this, procrastinating in a sense to take this next step? So the part that got cut out of my message was this question. So I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Uh, because it's you know how do how do you approach conflict in a godly manner and really it goes it goes back to the things that we gave at the marriage retreat um uh, which is always schedule conflict right there there can be no gotcha conflict hey sit down we need to talk that doesn't work so we schedule our conflict meaning we tell our spouse we tell our kids we tell our person at work on a friday afternoon hey monday i'd like to talk to you about this um i just want you to have your mind ready don't worry about it between now and then, but I need to spend an hour with you and we need to discuss how this went. It shows them your process and stuff. They're going to have time to process stuff and then you're going to have a conversation, not a fight. Uh, we talk about in, con in conflict, always have conflict while seated and while looking at each other. Don't walk away. Don't stand up and intimidate. So always have conflict when, when it's scheduled, when you're sitting down. Um, when you're talking to each other, if you can give it a time frame where you limit it, Hey, we're, we're going to sit down for the next 30 minutes and we're going to discuss this. And then in conflict, give people the benefit of the doubt, but go deep with questions. We give those six questions at the end of the message this week. Tell me why from your heart you did that. Tell me, you know, what were the feelings behind that? What were your fears if you didn't do that? What, what would be your fears of what could happen negatively? If you wouldn't have responded this way. So I, I would try to definitely get a little deeper in conflict. But the biggest thing is schedule it, sit down, be calm, uh, have grace, let the person know, listen, we're we're going to have this moment of conflict because I care about you, because I want the best for you, because I'm worried about this, uh, because I want to I want to understand why you're doing this. Right? Before we talk about new boundaries, before we talk about new rules, before we talk about even punishments. I just want to understand your heart. Uh, and at the end of it, you might have to come back and say, now, thank you for helping me understand that. Now, because you did that, here's the punishment. Here's the new boundaries. Uh, here's how we're going to do this for the next week or two. And then in two weeks, let's come back and talk and see if we think this is fair. And if this can be adjusted um, and if there's anything we can we can learn from this. But I think the biggest thing, schedule it, sit down, be calm. Look for solutions, not just an argument. You know, and at the end, stop, pray, um, agree to a certain set of things, and then agree to come back and talk about it again. Confrontation never ends in one conversation. So talk about it and then and then revisit it after you've set some action steps. And don't let it build up. I've found in relationships when it builds up, it, it just forms walls, which divides families and divides homes. And so um, great, great advice on how to tackle these things. And that's what we want to do in the Activate podcast. We want to give you information that's valuable to make your faith active. So uh, maybe today uh, spurt some questions. Uh, we'd love to hear from you to answer your questions on the next po uh, podcast. So you can e email us those again at activate at takethejourney.cc. Thank you for listening with us today. We hope, uh, we hope this has been helpful for you as you continue to build an active faith. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. 
As you heard in this episode, Christian answered several questions from some of our listeners. You might have a question you'd like to ask as well. To submit that question, all you need to do is send us an email to activate at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. Also, share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.